0: Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Ion Travel with Peter Greenberg, that's me, ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the app today.
1: This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move, or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed.
0: This episode of Travel Today with Peter Greenberg is brought to you by Audible.com, a leading provider of spoken audio information and entertainment. Listen to audiobooks whenever and wherever you want. Sign up today at www.audiblepodcast.com slash travel today to get a free audiobook and 30-day trial. One day Canada, the next day Thailand, then New York, London, you just never know. This week, we come to you from Anguilla in the British West Indies. Coming to you from the Four Seasons Resort and Residences. And talk about timing. Nearly two years after two hurricanes swept through here, they dodged the bullet. Of course, the two hurricanes two years ago were Irma and Maria. This time, they dodged the bullet on Dorian. They got lucky. Uh, the hurricane passed about 108 miles south of them. Um, and, uh, yes, there were gusty wind conditions, but no damage. And uh, that's a really good news, considering the fact that Anguilla has rebuilt from Irma and Maria. An amazing place. Anguilla has about 14,000 people, but they have a governor, and he joins me now. Tim Foy, how
3: are you, sir? I'm great, and Peter, thanks, and welcome to Anguilla, and thanks for the opportunity to speak to you today.
0: And by the way, you've got such a hardship post here, because before this, you were in Afghanistan, you were in Iraq, you were in the Sudan... They finally rewarded you?
3: Well, I was like to think I was working my way way up to a really difficult, serious place. Uh, But that said, it is a serious post. Uh, There's lots to do, particularly after the hurricane. Uh, Still lots of repair work to do. Still lots of renovation work to do. But we're getting there.
0: Explain for my audience, what is a British overseas territory?
3: Well, there are 16 remnants of empire, if you like, around the world. you said that, by the way. I did say that. And I can say that quite happily because my ancestry is Irish. So I'm quite (laughs) happy to say that. (laughs) So there are 16 remnants of empire around the world, which are predominantly small islands Uh, within our region. It's Turks and Caicos, Anguilla, uh, Bermuda up in the... Atlantic, Gibraltar, St. Helena, as you've mentioned, and the Falkland Islands, who are still a part of the realm in a sense that they're self-governing territories, but their responsibility for their overseas governance and their defense and security is with the United Kingdom.
0: And what is the actual power of of the empire, if you will, in a place like Anguilla?
3: It very much depends upon the constitution uh, of the individual overseas territory. Uh, In some of them, for example, Bermuda, which essentially had a pre-independence uh, constitution written in the early 1960s, but elected to remain uh, as a dependent territory. Uh, it's relatively little. In ceremonial. C- ceremonial, essentially. In others, it, it's quite active. So here, I've got quite an active role. I'm responsible for external security, uh, for issues around immigration, and also, in a sense, uh, I chaired the government's version of cabinet here. And so I worked very, very closely with the elected governments of the day to help them to deliver what they need to do.
0: And you mentioned the Falkland Islands. Obviously, the governor there was very busy back in 1982. Yes, Mr. Rex. Yes, because he had to call in for reinforcements.
3: <laughs> yeah, well, his first lot, uh, unfortunately, um, sort of succumbed. Uh, but uh, I have met him. He's an interesting gentleman. He died a few years back. And the Grand, another fantastic tourism destination. But, you
0: know... You also have to have a sense of geography to, to do what you do, yeah. right, a, about a sense of, not just a sense of place, but a sense of how you fit into the rest of the territories. Yeah, And you're providing, say, external defense, mm-hmm. right? So that means it could every, everything from drug interdiction. Yep.
3: Yeah. Uh, so we certainly, particularly the, the most important part of it, that for us is international security. So we work very closely with our fellow overseas territories with the U.K. and with U.S. law enforcement agencies as well. Uh, to make sure, in a sense, you know, Anguilla is part of that chain up from South America all the way through up to North America. So it's very important. We work very closely with our colleagues in Puerto Rico and in Florida.
0: Okay, I have to ask the obvious question: When was the last time one of the
3: Royals was here? Uh, the Queen last visited in 1992. Uh, I think i I think it was uh, the, the Duke of Wessex was here in 2000. That's Prince Andrew. Uh, no, that's Prince Edward. Was here in two thousand. We don't hear a lot about
0: Prince Edward these days.
3: Ah, he's a very nice guy. A very nice guy. He's a quiet one. He's the the one, quiet one. The quiet one. The quiet one. The quiet one. Has to be a quiet one. He's the youngest son, a bit like me. <laughs> so you related uh, uh, with another mother. <laughs> so when you
0: came here, considering where you were serving um, your government before, it was a big, a big new, brave new world for you, coming here.
3: Yeah, in a way it was. I'd spent four or five years immediately prior to here working in the UK Home Office, essentially doing sort of domestic uh, affairs, policing and the rights. So from that perspective, I'd had a change from doing the rip-roaring international stuff to the more mundane, but very, very important domestic agendas around policing and prisons and immigration, things that mattered to people. So I had an opportunity. Um, and for me, it, th- th- they are amazing opportunities because... You cover the whole gamut. We may be only 14,000 people, but you still have to have all the functions of a territory or a country which would be 10, 20, 100 times the size. You still have to have a prison service. You still have to have a court service. You still have to have a hospital. You still have to have clinics. So You, you still get have to have everyth- a postal you service. You still have to have a postal service. So you get everything but in microcosms. So that, that's, that's, the, that's the great thing. You've got the full train set. It might just be a little bit smaller than you get in larger places.
0: And you get a chance to have a little fun.
3: Uh, yeah, I'd, I wish there was more time. I think Irma sort of interdicted my ability to have fun. Uh, but it is a great place. And the real thing about Anguilla is its people. Uh, you know, they're the friendliest, happiest, hard, most hard-working people I've ever come across. And also amongst the most talented in the world. You know, I look at 14,000 people, and this island has given the UK two of its international track and field record holders. I look at Banky Banks, who sat over there, uh, a legend in, in the island, a legend in his own lunchtime, uh, is a remarkable character. join us a little bit later, yeah. And the, the depth of musical talent in this country is amazing. And that's the thing. You know, Anguillians had to travel the world to make a living because, as you've seen, it's not as green and lush as other islands uh, in the region. And wherever they've gone, they've made a fantastic contribution. And so many of them have come back now to make that contribution here. And, of
0: course, because of where you're located here, I mean, the word hurricane relief is right up in front.
3: Yeah, uh, you know, we, we took the brunt of Irma. Uh, the eye of Irma passed between... Two years ago. Two years ago, passed between St. Martin and Anguilla, so it went down that six-mile channel. Uh, we were taking winds in excess of 200 miles an hour. Uh, I will thank the good Lord that uh, Hurricane Irma moved on very quickly. You know, it cleared the island within two, two and a half hours. If it had stayed longer, I dread to think what the damage would have been. But, you know, support and assistance came in from overseas, but it all starts with the spirit of Anguillians. Um, the first thing people did when they could get out of the house was go out to help their neighbours. The second thing they did was start to clear up. The last thing they did was come to my office to ask for assistance. And that's something special about this place. You know, people are used to it, they're hardworking, their self-respect is very important.
0: For people listening to the show who have never been here, give them uh, exactly why you're still staying here.
3: Because it's the best place in the world. Um, you know, Anguilla's got the best beaches in Britain. That's my view, <laughs> that's my view of it. Well, wait a second.
0: <laughs> that's certainly one way of looking at it. Yeah.
3: No, I, I think, the, you know, Britain's got a responsibility to Anguilla as an overseas territory for as long as Anguilla decides it wishes to maintain that constitutional link to the UK. I firmly believe the UK has got a duty, and I know that ministers back, in the, back at home really want to deliver that to give of their best for Anguilla. It's very, very important. Um, and it's just a really easy environment to, to get along with people. You know, I can have really difficult, complex discussions with people, but you'll start the discussion as a friend and you'll lead the discussion as a friend, perhaps better informed. <laughs> uh, but, but, you know, I haven't, I've, never had, uh, I've never had a difficult... Convo- I've had difficult conversations, but I've never had conversations that angry, never had conversations which are are difficult in that sense. It's a marvellous place with amazing people who've stood the test of time. Uh, You know, people call it the rock for very good reasons. There isn't a great deal here other than rocks. Uh, And yet people have carved out a living and they've made the best of their talents, uh, be it their intellectual talents, their musical talents, to really make an impact in the world. And they're now making the very best of their natural beauty, to build a fantastic industry in terms of tourism. Hey, it's the Rockwell of Four Seasons. Exactly, but I can't give any advertisement. I'm like the BBC.
0: Toto, I have a feeling we're not in Kansas anymore. I always like to lo- ask the locals what's going on. And my next local, actually she's from, she's from Sacramento. What does she know? Actually, she's been here for seven years as an American expat running another property here with her husband, Shannon Kirschner. How are you? I'm well. Thank you for having me. Shannon, you are from Sacramento. I am, Did yeah. you ever hear of Anguilla before you came down here? No,
4: island? I hadn't. I No. Every time I'd heard of it, when my husband mentioned it, I thought he was talking about Antigua and saying it wrong. And so, yeah, I'd never heard of the island.
0: And you're coming from Northern California. Yeah. A rather larger population than Anguilla. Yeah, yes. What was the biggest surprise when you got here?
4: I think, maybe not a surprise, but I think the biggest change for us or for me was kind of resources, just access to all the things we get used to in the U.S. You know, you go to Target or you go to your local grocery store, and it's quite different here from, you know, in that respect.
0: Uh, it's wildly <laughs> different. I mean, did it get to the point where you said to yourself, initially, This island is too small for me.
4: I I think for the first three years living here, like three or four times a year, I'd say, like have a little bit of a crisis of, oh my gosh, like we live on this tiny island. But we travel enough to kind of stay sane. And I think that balance has really made it work for us. Um, Getting to cities occasionally and traveling around the world and then coming back and enjoying kind of the small town feel of this.
0: Well, it is small town feel. It's only 14,000 people on the whole island. yeah. Right?
4: And yes, exactly. And the expat population is is small. I don't even know the numbers on that, but we kind of know everyone, you know, more or less.
0: But you started something called the Wanderlust Effect.
4: I did, yeah, yeah. I started that actually when I was in graduate school in London, so about ten years ago. Um, and fortunately, married someone who also likes to travel a lot, so we've continued
0: it. But you're actually now basically speaking to people who've never heard of Anguilla and letting them know about it.
4: Too. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think it's actually been very interesting to see. I try not to focus you know, exclusively on Anguilla, but so many people discover me through their interest in the island and having them, you know, creating a dialogue I think is very cool for people that haven't heard of the island, don't really know what it's about, and then being able to give a little personal insight too.
0: You're a graduate of the London School of Economics?
4: Yes, yeah.
0: How has that helped you understand how things work down here?
4: You know, it's been... Uh, so I studied social policy and international development there. And i had always thought that I was going to go live in sub-Saharan Africa, working on health and education policy. And then we moved here. And actually, there were a number of opportunities to get involved. So I was on the board of an international school. We started um, working with a company called Pack for a Purpose um, that helps people, you know, travelers bring supplies to the island and work with the Youth Development Center. So... It, allowed me to, I think, find opportunities to be engaged with the community here, despite that it's you know, very different than where I saw myself going. There are opportunities, I and mean, even local communities where people are, to be involved.
0: So for somebody coming down here for the very first time, yeah. or even coming down for the second or third time, yeah. what do you suggest that they do to get involved?
4: Well, the, so one of the things we do, the Pack for a Purpose program, I've had a number of people not staying at our resort who have reached out and said, we, wanted, we want to donate. Um, and so there's an organization we work with called the Blowing Point Youth Development Center. And people will bring down supplies for these kids who, it's pretty much all donation-based. So art supplies, reading um, supplies, computers, all of those sorts of things that help, that help uh, these kids who otherwise wouldn't have the resources.
0: You know, one of my biggest pet peeves, that I'm sure you'll share this uh, sentiment, with most American travelers, especially when we're dealing with resort destinations, mm-hmm. is they'll come down to a resort like yours, which is Frangipani, yes, or the Four Seasons, yep. or Cap Luca, mm-hmm. or, right, or yeah. Malihana, yep. and they'll never leave the resort, so they never even immerse themselves in the community that surrounds them.
4: Right. And one of the things for us, and we're a small resort, we're only 19 rooms, and we're it's the only hotel that we have and the reason my my fam, or my husband's family ended up buying the hotel was because they loved the island and so part of what we try to do is get people involved in the island get off the property because there's so many unique experiences and those experiences I think are what really make people love Anguilla and fall in love with it. It's not being, the resorts are gorgeous, but really getting off property. Look, with all
0: due respect, you can have a pina colada anyway. Yeah,
4: exactly. Totally. I absolutely agree. And I think so much of um, engaging with the local community is what makes that love for a destination so real.
0: And so you actually encourage them to get off the property. Yes,
4: absolutely. I mean, we, we... We kind of try to get an idea of what they're interested in and then point them in the right direction. There's music all around the island. There are incredible restaurants, um, local and expat owned. And so we try to get them out to really get a feel for all that's available here.
0: And if you, if you manage it properly, you can actually see the entire island in a week.
4: Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you, at least the highlights for sure. Um, I mean, that said, people come, many of our guests have come 20 plus times. You know, they fall in love and they find new things every time. But I think if you have a week here, you really can get a great taste of what the island is and what it has to offer.
0: Well, when we come back, I want to talk to you about specific suggestions you might have. Yeah. Outside your, your resort. Yeah. For people to do stuff. Where they can actually immerse themselves in the culture and not get lost and actually, you know, come away with a, with much better than just a souvenir. Definitely. Run me through a day in your life. I mean I mean, do you have cable T V?
4: We we do well not at home but at the hotel we do
0: yeah but I'm but i on about <laughs> new lifestyle right yeah because it, we take so much for granted when we're living in other places here you are on an island yep. right? only thirty five square miles mm-hmm. so you, at home you're not watching TV
4: no no we have an Apple TV which is which was a very interesting thing we're we're like a few years behind the times you know so yeah. but discovering Apple TV was an interesting hey, thing. no further
0: than me I'm still on an AOL <laughs> uh, and I'm still liking my rotary phone so what are you yeah do? hey all right so. Not a lot of TV watching.
4: No. Um, you know, for us, we're, we're involved. We're at work most days. So that's kind of our life, which we love. Um, we're, we're in in the mornings, and when we come in, home in the afternoons, we're kind of hanging out. We have a beautiful sunset from our, from our home, so it's just kind of chatting, catching up, having
0: people over. But it's sort of minimalist, isn't it?
4: Absolutely, yeah. C- especially compared to the, the pace of life and what we were doing before.
0: When was the last time your husband wore a tie?
4: Oh, my gosh. Maybe for a wedding. Like last maybe year. yeah maybe for a maybe. wedding yeah yeah not here for sure
0: and you know from the california lifestyle where everybody has to show off their car yeah that's not the case here
4: exactly i mean that was i think one of the more refreshing things when we moved down i mean we talk about all the things that maybe we don't have living here but at the same time being able to not really care which community you live in—all the communities are great. There's not a stigma about the size or the what your house looks like or what car you're driving. Like that's all gone.
0: Exactly. And what car are you driving?
4: Probably like a '98 Corolla.
0: Hey, maybe 2002. Car. Right. I don't know. It,
4: it still runs. It gets us from point A to point B.
0: I love it. <laughs> it reminds me of the, of the folks who live out in Guam. The cars that they drive—they call them Guam bombs because <laughs> it's, it's 21 years old and it still has tires. Totally. In in. Still runs. Exactly. All right, so. Outside the resorts, because we all know everybody's got great restaurants, but outside the resorts, where are you taking me for breakfast, where are you taking me for lunch, and where are you taking me for dinner?
4: So, breakfast, well, breakfast wouldn't be, it's, it's sort of at a resort. Straw Hat, to me, is one of the best breakfasts. It's on Meads Bay but it's right in the middle of Meads Bay. So I think waking up with that view always like sets the stage for the day a little bit Um, to me for lunch. So I think one of the unique things about Anguilla for dining is that we have the high and low options. You know, we have the, the down home toes in the sand barbecue thing, and then we have this really fine dining segment as well. So lunch, I think you do barbecue. You go to sunshine shack um, on rendezvous Bay and do chicken and ribs and have a rum punch on the beach. Um, And then for, Pre dinner, we oh, would do drinks. To you, I got, I got to really make the day last year. So pre dinner, we probably do drinks at either. There's a couple of hotels. So Four Seasons has a beautiful lounge here, the Sunset Lounge. We usually take our, our friends and guests to. Or Quintessence Hotel has a stunning bar as well. So we would typically do a pre dinner drink there, and then dinner I'd probably do Jocola, Um wonderful French restaurant um, right on the beach. And just really kind of a nice fine dining contrast, I think. And that place
0: the, has been around for a while. For,
4: for a while, yeah. The, the owners there have been on island for a long time. Um, and they run a great operation. The food's excellent.
0: And what are we ordering there?
4: My go-to is the lemongrass mahi dish. I don't eat meat, so my husband is the steak tartare guy there.
0: See, uh, you and I would get along great, because I'm, I'm, I'm a pescatarian. I
4: am too, okay. I am too.
0: Well, you've come to the right island. I, right, right,
4: exactly, there's no shortage.
0: Exactly. Well, conch fritters?
4: Yeah, we You know, we don't see them as much here. We were just in the Bahamas, and they're everywhere Well, they're there, over there, yeah. Right, and here, you don't see them as often, but.
0: All right, and, and then, the one secret location on this island that you want to take me to. When well, your husband's not looking at you. <laughs>
4: I think, so if we had friends here and we were going to take them somewhere kind of special, I think, I don't know that it's secret, but we typically would do a boat trip to either Prickly Pear or Scrub Island, um, kind of an off-island key. I think those feel really special. You feel like you're... That's
0: picnic lunchtime.
4: Totally. Yeah. Well, Prickly has a restaurant on it. Scrub it would be a picnic lunch. Yeah. But that feels, you know, like you're somewhere that's untouched, which I think is a very cool experience to have.
0: Now, as an American expat, two things happen, I would guess. One, you have a lot of friends who want to come visit.
4: Right. <laughs> yes. Right?
0: Or your friends think you're crazy. Yeah. Which one is it? It's both, actually.
4: It's both. Well, I think, one, yes, friends come to visit. I mean, we have a lot of friends I think we forgot about who've come to visit. And then... And
0: what's the biggest surprise for them?
4: I... I think their biggest surprise is actually that we work. I think most of our friends think that we drink Rum Punch and we're hanging out and we're like retired on the beach. And they come down and they're like, whoa, you guys can't hang out every day. Like, we can't do boat trips together. We can't do all this stuff. And they realize that there actually is, you know, the people who are working who live, I guess, a a normal life or whatever our, you know, idea of normal is here. Right. but yeah, I think for them to see, you know, how, what it is to be an expat is a surprise for them.
0: Right. And then all of your friends who think you're crazy?
4: There's not as many. I think they, because I you, think.
0: You, you did something that most Americans wouldn't do. You picked up and right? went somewhere.
4: Yeah. Um, I think for a lot of them though, they see the lifestyle we live and we're really fortunate. We run a 10 month season that the hospitality season is generally 10 months here. So we take a month in September, October and we travel. And so to have that opportunity, I think for most people in our age bracket right now, living in cities in the U.S., the idea of taking a month and going on these grand adventures, like the lifestyle, I think, is intriguing. I don't. I think it makes it seem less crazy.
0: Well, the average American takes 1.4 weeks of vacation. It's wild. That's wild. If you
5: are continuing on to another Southwest destination, please make sure that you check the monitors inside the terminal for your proper gate and flight information. If you are continuing on with another airline, we really don't care.
0: For those people who don't know where we are, uh, it's a small island, it's, it's uh, really, in, 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 in the British West Indies, uh, you, you take a, most people will take a ferry to get here from St. Martin, that's where you'll mostly fly into, um, and uh, it's totally accessible and totally manageable, and so many of my friends who have come down continue to come down because of those two reasons. One of those people who I've had the pleasure of talking to you before on this show is a former New Yorker who, uh, 30 years ago, moved here and has never left. And in fact, runs one of the best restaurants in town, and her name is Melinda Blanchard. How are you? I'm great. How are you, Peter? I'm good. And in fact, uh, you, you've done two books. But the, the book, of course, that I remember the best that we talked about the very first time you did it, was really the story of an American expat making the big decision to move to the Caribbean and that was a book called the Trip to the Beach
5: Yeah we wrote that back. Bob and I wrote that in the year 2000 uh, and it was a story of moving you know moving down here and kind of escaping escaping the real world and coming to a tropical island and at that time there were very few people here.
0: I mean look the island's only 16 miles long it's three miles wide only 35 square miles. In size, I mean, it, it has to be special for you to stay.
5: You know, it's it's interesting. People ask us all the time, how can you be here 30 years later? <laughs> and, you know, don't you get bored? And, you know, don't you miss the north? And the truth is that we love it just as much now as we did when we first came. We first came as tourists in the mid-80s. Uh, I think 85 was our first visit. And we visited a number of times and moved here in 89. and. The thing about Anguilla, as I'm sure you have discovered, because you've been here several times, the people here are not like anywhere else on Earth. I mean, I, we have been to a, many, many Caribbean islands, and I have never met a community that, or been part of a community that is so honest, so industrious so loving, so caring and so much wanting to make people happy. It's it's a it's sort of what they're born with. I mean, our staff, some of, some of them have been with us for, since we opened our door. I mean, they've we've watched them grow from from teenagers up to, you know, having children and through an entire life cycle they've been with us 25 over 25 years.
0: Well, on an island this size, they become family.
5: They do. They do. You know, it sounds so trite because a lot of big corporations say, oh, we're like family, we build teams and all of that. But what we have here is something way, way beyond. It's hard to even put into words. um, And I think you feel you've eaten with us. And I I don't know if you'll agree, but we try to make it so that when people come to Blanchard, they feel at home right away. You just feel comfortable. There's no pomp and circumstance, no fussy Whatever, you know, you just you come for great food. And, and it's the warmth of the Anguillian people that that I hope shines through.
0: Well, you know, it's, it's one thing to make the decision to pick up, you know, pick up your roots and settle down in, in a Caribbean island. It's another thing to open a restaurant back, what, 25 years ago in 1994. What made you think you could actually do it and succeed?
5: <laughs> we didn't know we could. <laughs> it was a gamble. You know, it it was. We took a huge risk. We we really did. We figured we were ready for a lifestyle change. We had a company up in Vermont, actually, at the time. We we had we had worked for ourselves still for many years, so that part of it wasn't new to us. Uh, we made a line of salad dressings and dessert sauces and other condiments in Vermont called Blanchard and Blanchard, still with our name, and. We had some partners and we didn't love having partners. <laughs> we we decided we wanted to get out of that world. So we sold the business to our partners and we, we kind of escaped to Anguilla and we thought we'd try there there were not very few restaurants here at the time. I mean, I don't think I think there was one other expat owned restaurant at the time that was a pizza place and they are they are long gone now and um, We thought thought we'd try it, Peter. I don't know what else to say. We thought, you know, if it doesn't work, we'll just turn around, go home. And we know (laughs) that we've tried it. And if you had asked me back then if Bob and I would still be here 30 years later, I would never have said. We had started so many businesses. We started businesses and sold them typically after about three years. So for us to stick with something for 30 years and have no desire to leave, (laughs) it's, um, it's as surprising to us as anybody else. (laughs)
0: And and it certainly says something. And yes, I have done it before and the food is excellent. The ambiance is great. But the best thing about it is your staff are great storytellers. And that's part of the experience at at any place like this that makes it memorable is when you can have conversations that enlighten you about history, about culture and about what you're eating.
5: Yes, exactly. It's not just a we we spend a lot of time in our in our team meetings and our training sessions talking about waiters who are like robots <laughs> there's nothing you know i just can't stand it when someone comes to my table hi my name is mary tonight and i'll be your server and they <laughs> write down your order and they're gone and it's all just by rote. and you're right i i think that having real people that you can talk to and ask about the island ask about anything um and, and by the, the way one of the things so and one better. of the things
0: that and one of the things that you did, which was amazing, was after the last hurricane, you raised so much money for recovery efforts that included bringing in 300 generators, food and water provisions, school and medical supplies. I mean, you are definitely not just the outsiders running a restaurant. You are now very much the community.
5: Well, thank you for recognizing that. I don't look for any recognition for that. I, um, You know, we are part of the community, and when we moved here, we decided that that would be what we, that's the life we were looking for. We didn't want to just be a foreigner operating a business, you know, in a foreign land and not being part of it. Um, And when that last hurricane hit, it was, it was a doozy. I mean, it was, it was a disaster. We were closed for 14 months. Um, And before we started to remodel, we decided we already had a nonprofit organization because we raised money for the children of Anguilla. We've done that since I think 2006. But this was the biggest thing we've ever I mean, we raised close to a million dollars, which was, um, it, it shocked me. <laughs> but uh, but I was happy to do it. I just hope, I hope for a lot of reasons that we don't have to do it again.
0: <laughs> I'm hoping that way, just for you as well and for everybody else in Anguilla. Melinda Blanchard, American expat, restaurateur, and somebody you need to meet when you come to Riding Anguilla. Along in my, my baby
6: beside me at the wheel. Cruising and playing the radio With no particular place to go
0: Audible.com has more than 150,000 titles and virtually every genre. So check it out for yourself. Sign up today at www.audiblepodcast.com slash Travel Today to get a free audiobook and 30-day trial. My next guest, uh, he is definitely a local. He's a reggae singer. Some people actually call him the Anguilla Bob Dylan. I didn't say that. Other people did. <laughs> <laughs> He's laughing already. It's Banky Banks. How are you, sir?
7: Banky Banks. I'm great. I'm great, Peter.
0: You were born and raised in Anguilla, but you're almost a New Yorker.
7: Well, I, I would say I'm a world person. I've been, I lived in New York City. I would, I would say, yeah. About nine years, I would say, if you put it all together.
0: Then you came back.
7: Then I came back. and I've lived in Europe, too, for six and a half years.
0: consider uh, myself what, a world uh, But what keeps you coming back here? Wow well,
7: I think this is what inspires me. This is what uh, what gets me. You know, I, I would say every, all the, the greatest things in my life happened from right here, even though I've traveled the world for over 20 years, doing other things, various things. Uh, most of the biggest things for me happened here. Every I was uh, influenced. I was, uh, the best things happened here.
0: And who are the musicians who influenced you? Well... Yeah.
7: Lots of people. I mean, I just love music. You know, my, my early influences started, as you would understand, uh, in the Caribbean. The radio is a new, you would know very well, it's, it's, I mean, it's a new thing for the Caribbean. The first radios we had here were gospel radio stations. We get uh, these evangelistic things that sold plywood and, and chicken. <laughs> Come <Coming> with <from laughs> my arm in Puerto Rico. And between that, you hear uh, Ray Charles or Johnny Cash or Charlie Pride or Bob Dylan Jim Reeves. <laughs> so, those are the early influences as a kid growing up in the, uh, in the uh, late 50s, 60s. I mean, I couldn't, music came to me, I guess, in the 60s, perfect time. So, those influences of uh, that, and then leading into, uh, you know, we had a British uh, occupancy, reoccupancy here in, in 1969, we had a revolution. So we had, uh, just at the time when I became a musician, where we had 300, uh, the island at that time with a population of 7,000 people, we had about 400, 300, 400 British personnel between Bobbies, English Bobbies, engineers, and paratroopers that lived here. And my first gigs as an entertainer were playing for the British top 40 uh, so, uh, uh, troops and, and at their headquarters on the weekends. Wow. A lot of curries and boiled eggs and stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> so but hopefully, no of course. Of course with that came uh in another way, the British invasion to Angola because we got a radio station which started on the frigate, was broadcasting from a frigate, which uh ironically my sister was one of the first DJs and and that and that station uh which became Radio Angola and that's where I could really hear music. British top forty every day. At that time I could hear six sixty-eight, sixty-nine it's Hendrix, it's the Beatles, it's the Who, it's the animals, and that's... Uh,
0: and is it true that you spent some time with Mr. Dillon?
7: Definitely did. Uh, just like I said, <laughs> some of the strangest things ever happened to me are uh, Mr. Dylan sailing in his... Uh, Bob Dylan sailing in his uh, water pulse, which was built in the back area, island boat with our island crew, and he just walked in, picked up my uh, my cassette at that time in the store in Road Bay that sold doilies and shells. <laughs> A little Banky Banks cassette. You know those things? Remember yeah, those
0: things? I do remember those okay. things. So what are <laughs> sure you, got- you with so, so what are you gonna play for me today?
8: Well,
7: okay, uh, I play uh, I play the like, line I would say one of the last things I wrote when I'm there to, I never even released it. It was an offering after the hurricane. We were all so traumatized, you know. Instead of getting into that, I just decided to write myself a song, a little song for myself and for the people in this call. It ain't easy, but it's all right. It goes like this. <laughs>
9: soul is all that's left You've been battered, bruised, and pushed around. It seems a life's been trampled on. But souls the spirit that dreadful moan cause God was in the storm Now it ain't easy but it's alright It ain't easy We made it through the night It ain't easy But it's alright It ain't easy God is on her side You question your existence You need to fortify your faith I'm leaning on a crooked cross Outside the chapel gate I'm grateful for my salvation This is a time and place I'm thinking hallelujah I sing amazing grace Oh, it ain't easy, but it's alright. It ain't
0: easy. It's Thank you, Banks. It ain't easy, but it was pretty nice.
10: Hello and welcome to Alaska Flight 438. We'd like to tell you now about some important safety features of this aircraft. The most
1: important safety feature we have aboard this plane is the flight attendants. Please look
5: at one now.
0: Imagine we're only 20 miles from St. Barts, only about five miles from St. Martin, uh, and so it's easy to get around. On an island that only has 14,000 people, it's only 35 square miles. Talk about manageable, and of course, always interesting. And uh, for me, it's, it's always a, uh, a pleasure to have an island this small because you can re- not only do you know everybody, mm-hmm. within, within a few minutes just about, you get to see everything. And joining me now... Uh, the vice president of the, of the Anguilla Archaeological and Historical Society, Ken Banks. How are you, sir? I'm fine, thank you. So, welcome, welcome to Anguilla. Thank you. Uh, let's talk about the history here, because in doing my research. You know, we know about the, the Amerindians, and we mm. know about some of the archaeological history here, mm. going back 1,300 years, mm. uh, 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 with, with actually evidence of, of, uh, of settlement 600 years. Mm. I mean, so there's a treasure trove out there. Exactly. In fact, there's the earliest settlement
8: was 1800 B.C., or less, wow. or less found we have found. So we have people have been here for a long time.
0: Now you've been with the society for about 37 years, right? You Joined in 1982. Yeah, I can do my math. You did the math. Yeah. I did the math. <laughs> uh, for somebody who's never been here, what is it that I can see? What is that I can get up close and personal with that will give me an idea of the real history here?
8: Well, the most of the archaeological um, history is hidden, but we do have some historical um, remnants there. Uh, there's a the Wildlick House, which is a uh, early 18th century um, plantation house, which was recently renovated and restored, uh, which is used as, um, a, as a, a, a site, uh, a visitor site. Uh, there's also the Fountain Cavern, which really is an archaeological um, um, site. Uh, but that is, the, the cavern itself is right now closed up, but we do have a heritage trail, a, a trail which sort of gives us a little history of what is there and what's under the ground. The idea is we are trying to restore that, that site to make it, um, to preserve it as well as show it. Uh, so it, it's taking some time and money to get that done.
0: Of mm. course, it all gets down to storytelling, doesn't it? It you, does. If you can't connect the dots, then I'm just mm. looking at a bunch of caves. It doesn't mm-hmm.
8: help me out. Right. Well, the, the the story is that it was a, a, a ceremonial site for the Tyrone people. Um, the Tyrone people had the idea that their ancestors dwelled in caves.
0: How far back are we going here?
8: Oh, are we going back maybe um, to... 1300s um, before uh, and they came out at night in the form of bats and so this cave in particular the Fountain Cavern is uh, one of the few similar sites left in, in, the, in these islands. I think there was one in Cuba which is also there but there's one in, in Anguilla. The Fountain Cavern is one of the most well preserved and in there we find artifacts, uh, we find petroglyphs of some, some Aryan deity who who um, was carved on the stones by the, um, the, uh, the earlier, earlier residents of Anguilla. Mm.
0: You know, if you look at the Egyptian culture and mm. you look at all the the hieroglyphics on the walls of their mm. of their dead, mm. right? Were there still stories told that way here?
8: Well, on the caves, yes, they yeah. are. Um, in fact, there are two. There are three. Depictions of gods in the cave, but there also are also other depictions which just show representations um, of dead ancestors. Uh, so there's no real um, uh, who, who have no connection to any god in particular. There's the god Jahahu who is there, the biggest um, show god in the cave. There's the the um, the rainbow deity, which actually has been similar. Had been. Has been, has been Uh, taken on or modified by Capuluca for their symbol. And we have the the sun god, who's also used by another hotel. But there are these depictions of the gods that are there in the cave. Mm.
0: We're talking to Ken Banks from the Anguilla Archaeological and Historical Society. Everybody who showed up in Anguilla, the French Mm. were here Mm. and the British, Mm. they left their their history here too.
8: They have, yeah. We have a very... um, Of course, we have been a British island since... Uh, colonists since 1650, so yeah, but much, then the French came the in, the French came in and invaded on, on two occasions, and they have left their mark in the form of um, We have found a lot of cannons, and they have written their line in history because we that's part of our history. The two French invasions in 1745 and in 1796, because these islands were a hotbed of um uh, disagreement between the French, the Dutch, the Spanish, and the and the and the British. And so um, whenever there was war between those territories, we got dragged in. Of course you, know, you
0: did. <laughs> <laughs> it was inevitable. It was, yeah. And yet then, after the French came in and the British beat them back, mm-hmm. right? Then you also had a revolution as recently as 1967. 1967. You see, Anguilla was uh, placed under the
8: presidency of St. Louis Nevis uh, first in, in 1825. Angolans never wanted that and they have always petitioned the British government that we don't want to be part of that, um, of that union. But in 1967, the British decided they were sending these islands given them more of an autonomy, um, we call it associated status. Angola is saying we don't want to be part of associated state with Sinkins and Nevis because we haven't been treated right. Um, it's 1867, there's no electricity, no water, and no telephones in Angola, and no paved roads. We're saying that, that was 1967, 1967 not that if, long ago. Right. If that's going to continue, well, we want no part of this. And they decided to send the British, the Singers police out of Angola. It was a long battle, but eventually the British came back. But it was, wasn't before the British representatives came to Anguilla. And uh, he was sent home because he, was, he tried to get us to give in our guns. And we said no. And he went back and said to the British government, um, to an arisen at the time, he saw some Cuban and mafia elements on the island. And that triggered some. And that triggered uh, 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 a big um, uproar in the British sending their troops. And we welcomed
0: them. Hey, this is what he wanted all along. (laughs) (laughs) And you you still have a British governor Still have a British governor. Mm -hmm. He was on Mm -hmm. earlier in the show. Mm -hmm. So so there's peace now in the island. There's peace, yes. I'm Mm -hmm. happy to hear that. Mm -hmm. What's the biggest challenge for you to maintain the storytelling of the work that you do from the Historical Society?
8: Well, um, there's always what we have found that in the past, a lot of the the storytelling, um, the, the recording, hasn't been well documented.
9: The charge for looking at this
2: pamphlet is $3. The charge for looking at this pamphlet and putting it back quickly
4: is $4.
9: Over the seas and all the
3: grease
0: to anywhere I please. Oh, my next guest uh, is a co founder of Anguilla Life magazine. Hard to believe it's 28 years old, but it is. Uh, her name is Joan Richardson. Hi, Joan. Good morning, Peter. Yeah, I mean, a magazine, any magazine these days that can survive more than four years is pretty good in my mind, especially in the era of digital and the era of the internet. Uh, but one of the things that you do in this magazine, obviously, is you're letting people know from a local perspective what's going on on the island, which is so important. Correct. We have a
10: lot of um, off-the-island contributors to the magazine also. People that really love Anguilla like to get in on the historical, cultural areas, and we have a lot
0: of people that contribute articles. And what is it about Anguilla that makes it such a special island? I know that's a self-serving question, but I'm going to let you take it.
10: It's one of the best-kept secrets in the Caribbean, I think. Why? Anguilla. Well, we don't really spend that much money on advertising. I know certain areas in the government do do that. But a lot of people that come here don't like to spread the word. They want to keep it more of a secret for them.
0: But if you were advertising, what would you be telling people?
10: Come to the land of friendly people, (laughs) beautiful beaches, and wonderful food.
0: Now, you've been doing the magazine for 28 years. What's the biggest, in all those years, what's the biggest surprise to you about how this island has evolved?
10: The biggest surprise to me about how this island has evolved is since some of the bigger um, resorts came here, a lot of people from outside the island came to live on Anguilla. A lot of them have stayed, so we have a lot more interaction with people from the different islands, when basically it was just mainly Anne Williams, a few expats from France, America, England. So there's more consistency.
0: Yes, there's more consistency. And of course, speaking of surviving and consistency, you had to deal with Hurricane Irma. We deal with... And and by the way, not just Hurricane Irma, you had a number of hurricanes over the last 25 years.
10: Yes, yes, we have. Hurricane um, Louis was big. It lasted almost 30-odd hours. That was quite a big one, but Irma was a bit different. It was like a hurricane, tornado,
0: earthquake type of thing. Well, Hurricane Lewis was 1995. Yes. Hurricane Lenny was in 1999. That was the floods, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you've been through some stuff before. Yes, But yeah. Irma, even though it wasn't here very long, it did damage.
10: Yes, she did. A, she left a lot of damage in her path, yeah. And still recovering. Yeah, we're still recovering, but compared to some of the other islands, we've done pretty well. I was just next door a few days
0: ago, St. Martin. They're having a hard time. You know, when you land at the airport there, uh, I mean, it's, it's functioning, but when, when you take the ferry from St. Martin, just before you come even out of the channel to get here, you're passing boat after boat after boat that's half submerged, capsized, or sunk. That's true. The,
10: yeah, the, over at Bobby's Marina, ha, they have a lot of boats that are still halfway in, halfway out, as you say. And, and a lot of people took their boats there for safety. You come back and your boat is just... It's not there. ...not safe. Exactly. But
0: you've managed a pretty good recovery here. I Yes, I believe we've managed a pretty good recovery. So for someone who's never been here listening to this show, what would you tell them to look out for when they get here? Because part of our, or I should say my mantra is... You know, I don't want to be a tourist. I want to be a traveler. I I don't want to, you know, necessarily just go somewhere and have a cheeseburger. That's not really what I had in mind.
10: No, there are a lot more cultural things to do in Anguilla. If you came to Anguilla, I would tell you to pop by the strip, which we have in town. And what is that? Bars, food, people. It's right in the center of town. It really comes alive at night. That's a place to go if you're in town. Um, I would always visit the Heritage Museum, which has a lot of historical elements of Anguilla preserved by a local guy called Corville Petty. I would go to the beach, obviously, and there are quite a few choices in restaurants for food. Well, not just restaurants. You've got some great secluded beaches, too. Oh, yes, we have some secluded beaches. We have Captain's Bay. We have Limestone Bay. Savannah Bay. Savannah Bay, Mimi Bay. There are a few secluded beaches. As a matter of fact, we don't have that many beaches that really have a lot of restaurants. Meads Bay, for instance, what we're on now, Barnes Bay, Sandy Ground, Rendezvous Bay. All the others are pretty much secluded. Out and, of thirty-three beaches, yeah, and that ain't bad. That's not bad at all. And all walkable or drivable. I mean, you, you, they're not. The whole
0: island's only thirty-five square miles.
10: Yes, and all beaches are accessible to anyone. No one can stop you from. So they're secluded, but they're not private. No, no beaches in Anguilla are private. Right. You have the right to go to any beach that you want to, which is good. No, it's great. Some people try to block us up, but they don't really
0: succeed. <laughs> <laughs> you tell them that. All right, so let's get to the food, because you mentioned food, but I want to get specific. Where am I going for breakfast? For breakfast. Well, are you gonna be in town or are you gonna be
10: on the beach? You tell me. If I'm in town, I'm going to breakfast at the village bakery. I'm going and to what am I gonna have there? Any kind of pastry, French Trinidadian. Baguettes, British breakfast, traditional breakfast, fruit plate. Everything. Everything. Okay. And now, where are we going for lunch? Are you going to the beach or are you going to stay in town? You tell me. <laughs> if I'm going to be on the beach by reservation only, no, by reservation only for dinner, I can go to Jacques Alain. They don't do lunch. Right. Um, but but if I'm lunch. Gonna, Yeah. If I'm going to be in town, I would go to Andes. We have a world of food vans in the valley that do food vans
0: are everywhere now. Yeah, yeah, they do. They're everywhere,
10: they're global. Yeah. What am I having in Andes? Fish wrap.
0: Never fails. And what kind of fish?
10: Uh, You have a choice mahi mahi snapper. All local. All local. (laughs)
0: <laughs> Local ish. <Yeah. laughs>
10: it depends on the catch of the day. You know, you cannot always have it fresh yeah. because when we have high seas, the fishermen don't really have much luck when they go out. So it could be frozen.
0: Although I had some calamari last night at Blanchard's, unreal. I mean, I, I have to say this: I, I wasn't expecting it. I ordered two orders
10: of the calamari and Blanchard's. You went to the main restaurant, I take it, yes. it was dinner, because they yes. have a nice beach shack yeah. next door, which is also excellent for lunches.
0: Okay. Well, now let's talk about dinner. Where am I going? Jacqueline, you mentioned. For
10: dinner? Yeah. If Well, in dinner, in town, there's not that many places to go, come to speak of it. But I would go to Dolce Vita, which is in Sandy Gram for dinner. I would come to um, any of the resorts, Cuisine Art has some um, Santori, Santu, Santorini, has a very nice menu. Um, there were so many places. I got you. It's, you know, they, they come up like on a whim, but the only sad thing that we have is that during the slow season, we can't take advantage of some of the nicer places because they close. Right. So we're restricted. If you're here all year round, during the off-season, you're restricted to a few
0: places. Yeah, but here's the good news. I'm a big fan of the off-season. I love the off-season because I'm not restricted. I'm freed from resorts. I'm freed from the restaurants. I get to go hang out with the people. (laughs) You can hang out with the people even at the um, resorts. I know, but I, I, my whole idea is sleep at the resort, enjoy at least one meal at the resort, and then do yourself a favour and get and out. Get, uh, yeah, go to
10: town, yeah. go to yeah. town, go to the beach and see what else Absolutely. is going on.
8: Where are the wagons?
10: The wagon is too so slow. Can't you ride?
7: It's not that he can't ride. How is it you put it home?
3: They're dangerous at both ends and crafty in the middle. Mm. I don't want anything with a mind of its own
8: bobbing about between my legs. You
0: know, when I first came here, and and when you're coming to Anguilla, of course, the first question they ask you is, well, which hurricane did you come before, or which hurricane did you come after? Mm -hmm. Um, and I've been coming probably for almost 30 years, so I've at least had two that I've played with. Uh, but when I first came here, this, this resort was not here. Um, it was, uh, just vacant. Uh, And my guest right now, the general manager of the Four Seasons Resort and Residences in Anguilla, Jose Adonis. I mean, Jose, how long has this been
6: here? The Four Seasons uh, transitioned onto this property in 2016. However, before before that, it it was a Viceroy Hotel from 2010. Uh, And before that, this used to be Coco Lobo, for those who uh, used to visit Anguilla back then.
0: I, I do remember that. Yes. But you've added a lot to it.
6: We, we, we think we have. I think uh, Four Seasons has brought a different perspective to the island in terms of luxury. Um, one of the things that uh, we pride ourselves on is that we uh, took on a resort that has a beautiful design from Kelly Worslaw out of L.A., and we felt that the, uh, the it was it was a, a diamond in the rough that just needed a little bit of that four seasons touch, and and we're proud to say that in three years we've been able to add those touches, and uh, we've been able to establish ourselves here in the Caribbean.
0: And of course, before you were here, you were in Beverly Hills.
6: I was at the Beverly Wilshire.
0: So you brought a little bit of that to you.
6: Too. That's what I hope. I hope that my experience 20 years of four seasons since uh, ninety nine in New York at the Pierre Hotel has added some value uh, to, to a great team that already existed here on the ground with Suzanne Willis, our PR director who accompanies us today, and uh, the rest of the team that, that's been here for years.
0: Of course, you always have to adjust to the environment. Um, what was the, your biggest adjustment to coming to Anguilla.
6: For me personally, I came from a city, Mexico City, where there's 23 million residents uh, to an island of 14,000. So let me start there. That's the first adjustment. Um, it's, it's a very sleepy island. Um, the beautiful thing about Anguilla is you come here to disconnect. So my body had to adjust. I had to, I had to get used to the fact that, uh, you know, you have a beautiful dinner here in Anguilla, and then you go back to your room and you get some rest. So, but a year and a half in, I feel very acclimated for sure.
0: And, of course, in terms of adjustment, this island had to adjust to the hurricane.
6: Absolutely. One of the things I take pride in, in telling the story of is that... And, by
0: the way, when I talk about Hurricane Maria, it's Hermaca- Hurricane Irma. Irma.
6: Correct. Hurricane Irma in 2017 that devastated the uh, the region. Um, but I, I have to say that one of the things that gives me pride in telling uh, people is that uh, when the hurricane hit, the staff were a major part of bringing back this resort. Uh, they did not stay home. They came and they volunteered They also worked with uh, Four Seasons to work on roofs, to paint, to reconstruct this resort. And the reason we were one of the first to reopen in 2018 was because of our staff uh, coming together.
0: And, of course, it's not a question of just the lessons that you've learned. It's a question of the lessons you've applied. So what did you do in terms of reconstruction to make it even stronger for the next hurricane?
6: That's a great question, Peter. One of the things we realized during Hurricane Irma is that there were things we can do to better prepare for hopefully— it won't be for a while, future hurricanes, Uh, things like installing glass uh, balustrades that are removable when we do the closing of the hotel every year, Uh, strapping down air conditioners on the roofs that were part of the big issue when the hurricane hit and was part of the reconstruction uh, to make sure that in the future, if another hurricane Category 5 does happen here, we will be in better shape to reopen afterwards.
0: And of course, it's the electrical grid too.
6: Absolutely. Electrical grid, uh, securing the electrical grid uh, to ensure that we do have running power here to get back up quickly after a hurricane, something that did uh, hold us back in 2017. So now you
0: got generators?
6: Now we have uh, three generators, so we're very, <laughs> very happy.
0: I know that all too well. I live in a low-lying area in New York where water level is key, and without a generator, my pumps won't operate. And if the pumps don't operate, I lose
6: everything. Absolutely. And we, and we, felt, that, uh, we felt that in 2017 for sure.
0: People who just think, oh, I don't, I don't, you know, you take everything for granted until you don't have it.
6: Absolutely. Absolutely. So great le- learning lessons uh, from, from that. Uh, and, I, and, and, and I think the staff, as well as the uh, stakeholders, are very, very confident that we're in much better shape going forward.
0: You talk about, you know, going from 23 million to 14,000. I mean, in a sense, everybody here knows everybody.
6: Absolutely. Everyone's related somehow, some way. So it, it, it makes it for a tighter-knit group in terms of uh, cohesiveness, collaboration. Um, on the other hand, it, 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 it's a new challenge. It's, it's something that we're not used to coming from New York City myself, uh, where people don't know each other until they, uh, they get to work with each other. We are here, family members uh, from different generations uh, continue to work at the resort, which I think makes it special and, and adds a touch of familiarity you don't find in other Four Seasons around the world. So I feel very proud to be a part of that, and, and I think that's what makes Anguilla special.
0: And, of course, here in Anguilla, if you talk behind somebody's back, they're going to find out about 10 seconds.
6: In 10 seconds. There are no secrets here in Anguilla. There are no <laughs>
0: secrets. What's your biggest challenge?
6: Um, because of a small island, when you think about recruitment, um, you continue to recruit from a small pool of people. Um, so um, th- that makes it challenging versus a city where you just have a huge... Uh, pool out there to choose from Um, on the other hand I think what's great is that people take pride here in Anguilla everyone looks at it as their home Um, it's not transient so people take pride in looking after the resort they take pride in making sure that return guests continue to come back come
0: fly with me let's fly,
9: let's fly away If you
0: can use some exotic booze, there's a bar in far Bombay. Come on and fly with me. Let's fly, let's fly away. When you think about where we are, uh, just a little bit north of St. Martin, on an island that's only 35 square miles, uh, only 14,000 people, a British overseas territory, Um, you would think, wow, not enough to see, not enough to do. Well, guess what? Not true. Uh, And you go back to look at exactly... The history of Anguilla, you're finding that they found remains dating back to uh, 1300 BC um, and remains of settlements from 600 AD. So there's a lot to talk about and a lot to preserve as well. And joining me now from the Anguilla National Trust is Louise Sones. How are you? Good, thanks. You've been here about six years. I'm sure it was an adjustment coming to an island this small, but then again, it opened the door to you to, to discover all sorts of new things.
2: Uh, yeah, exactly. I, ha- I did have some experience living on small islands in, around Britain. But this is a completely different experience. Yes. Um, completely different environment. Things you don't obviously see in Europe, and right. yet, yeah, and a lot of new things that we can do because not much work has been done. Nobody really had been getting into the environment, biodiversity. So this is, really this is really a brave new world for you. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah.
0: And what was the biggest surprise for you as you started to dig deeper into this island?
2: Um, just how much there is here. The uniqueness of the environment. The animals you find here. The plants. The habitats. It's all really unique, and it's all really, really important. Even though we are a very small island, we still have um, globally important populations of seabirds, turtles. We we have um, lizard species that only occur here in Anguilla, nowhere else in the world. So it's just incredible. A small island can hold all of this biodiversity.
0: Well, let's start with my favorite topic, the turtles.
2: Great. Mine too. Okay. (laughs) Okay.
0: So, what, tell me about the turtle.
2: Um, so we have three different populations here, three different species: hawksbills, greens, and leatherback turtles, and they are all you have globally endangered. Very, yeah. We have a very a, a small population of breeding leatherbacks.
0: For, for those of us who have not done this before, I have. I did it down in Costa Rica, at around two o'clock in the morning, with infrared cameras. Mm. You crawl out there on the beach, and you are very, very quiet, and no lights, and you watch these prehistoric animals crawl up onto the beach to lay their eggs, it's astonishing.
2: Yeah, you described it, how I would describe it, prehistoric. It seems like you're just looking at something that should be around in the dinosaur time. They're huge animals, the leatherbacks, really huge. So we have a few of them every year, but predominantly we have hawksbill and green turtles in Anguilla, and we have um, foraging populations and nesting populations. So the beautiful white sandy beaches you see are where the turtles nest, and the the beautiful blue um, seas around Anguilla are where they forage. They're feeding on sponges or seagrass.
0: And, of course, at one point in the history of this island, they were hunting the turtles.
2: Yes, yeah. Um, up until 1995, um, people were still hunting turtles here. And then there was a call from, actually, it was led by the school children of the island. There was a, a campaign by them to try and get the government to um, stop this hunting, and the government listened, and they, they established a moratorium, which is actually up for review next year, 2020. But the Angola National Trust, along with the Department of Fisheries, have been collecting data and doing a lot of research in recent years to try and provide the government with evidence to support their decision whether they should lift or maintain that moratorium
0: and i hope you've got the evidence to support maintaining the ban
2: we yes we do i mean they are globally recognized as endangered species they're all declining all across their range and we 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 recognize we have small but important populations that need to be preserved here and we've also and we and everybody knows this i think they're probably worth more as an ecotourism product they're more, worth more alive than than dead, probably.
0: Well, in now t- you've you defined the turtles as an ecotourism <laughs> product. Um, somebody visiting Anguilla, how do they get involved with you to go see the turtles?
2: Um, they could call into the office, visit our website, um, or just give us a call. We got, the website is. Um,
0: Axatrust.net,
2: you know I think, but you can just type it in Anguilla National Trust. Okay, and it good. will come up. <laughs>
0: right, I'm happy you did that. But then you can do that and then get involved.
2: Yep. So we can we work alongside the government's Department of Fisheries. We do a, They do run a flipper tab- tagging program. So if that's going on, you could always join that. But we also do monitoring weekly monitoring of nesting beaches. Um, but you can actually, even if you didn't want to come and join us, come and have a chat. And we can point out sites where you can go in Anguilla. Just look over the coastline and you will see turtles just come popping their heads up very, very easily. And also snorkeling we've just set up again with the department of fisheries we have set up a snorkel train in Little Bay which is one of Anguilla's beautiful marine parks it's a very small park but it's very accessible you can actually snorkel out to it or you can get a small boat and we set up an art, some artificial reefs under the water predominantly they've been set up to help the lobster populations in the in the marine park but turtles like to aggregate around them as well so if you're snorkeling that trail you're almost guaranteed to see a turtle as and well the turtles as lobster guaranteed to see you yes
0: <laughs> yeah When we come back, I want to talk about the birds, and you also talked about the specific species just for this island. Yeah. Right? We'll talk about the birds and the the lizards. Yeah. How many different lizards?
2: We have two that just belong to Anguilla. They're endemic to Anguilla. They're very small ground lizards. One lives on Little Scrub Island, and one lives on Sombrero Island. Um, The government have designated marine parks around the island and on some of the offshore keys.
0: And you also have some artificial reef structures.
2: We've just been involved in a project where we put in a a a one hundred meter snorkel trail that's composed of these artificial reef structures they're actually made of concrete um, in different la- made of different layers they've got lots of different holes and crevices, so different creatures will go and aggregate towards them and live in them so we we had that in since last year, and we can already see if you snorkel there now, you can already see quite a lot going on quite a life around these structures Plus some shipwrecks. Yes, there are a number of shipwrecks that have been deliberately sunk and or may have just sunk, and they also attract a lot of um biodiversity.
0: I'm assuming that since Hurricane Irma, you have some shipwrecks that weren't planned.
2: Uh, (laughs) Some boats have sunk. Yeah, some boats have sunk. Um, They're not so big. Not not here, not so big one. Maybe a few sailing boats have sank along the way or got washed away places. Yeah.
0: But we're talking about the big ones that you've actually deliberately sunk. Yeah, yeah. One of the biggest problems that I find with most travelers is they'll come to an island resort, like where we are right now, and they'll never leave the resort, right? How do we get them out of the resort so they can actually discover all the things that you see?
2: Yeah, that's a good point. That's what we always wonder as well, because there is a lot to Anguilla other than just the beaches. The beaches are a massive attraction, obviously, but um, we can do hikes, we can do tours, we can do boat trips to the offshore keys. Different. There's quite a lot of different tour operators that can do this. So I would definitely say to people, get off, get get off the mainland island and go and see some of the offshore keys. Whether there's some that have got nice bars and restaurants, there are some that are a bit more remote and rugged. It just depends what you like. But I would definitely try and get off the island and then you can see some of nature get really get back to nature. But we also can do tours and hikes on the mainland of Anguilla. Some we know some different tracks and trails that you probably wouldn't want to venture on your own or wouldn't know where they led.
0: But you know where they are.
2: Yes. So it'll be, yeah, call into the Angola National Trust Office or speak to your hotel reception and they'll be able to put you in touch.
0: And the best thing about it is you're not dealing with an island that's overpopulated by 500,000 tourists. If you're going to go on a hike, it just may be you and your significant other or a few friends.
2: Yeah, exactly. You might not see anybody else. And the same when you go to an offshore key. If you go to one of the more remote ones, uninhabited ones with no bars and restaurants, it's really, it could just be you there. You and the birds and the turtles. By the way, <laughs> if
0: I'm going to go to an offshore key, I do not want to go to one with a bar and a restaurant. <laughs>
2: well... <laughs> It's quite hot to you. You might get thirsty you can, along you the can way. Bring a cooler.
0: You can bring a cooler. The whole idea is to see it the way it's meant to be seen. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, the biggest problem that so many American travelers have is that their definition of an adventure travel trip is going to an American branded hotel, having a cheeseburger and, and saying they roughed it. Yes. Well, yeah, you didn't have to agree. It was rhetorical. You know that. Let's talk about the birds.
2: Um, so we have, especially the offshore keys, Anguilla is globally important for seabed populations. We've got a really nice marine environment around the islands. Um, lots of food, lots of fish for them, so that we've got literally thousands of birds breeding. On, For example, Dog Island, we've got over 300,000 small terns breeding every summer. It's just when you go to the island, it's just full of birds. And on the other offshore keys as well, boobies, frigate birds, all different kinds of terns. It's, it's, somebody once came here, we took them out to one of the islands, and they described um, Anguilla as the Galapagos of the Caribbean because of its seabird species. I mean, that's
0: not a bad description.
2: Yeah, we were pleased. How many of
0: them are migratory? <laughs>
2: um... All of them, all of the seabirds will migrate a bit. Some of them down to South America, the tern species go on huge migrations. The the bigger booby birds... they are so thousands of miles. Oh, yeah, yeah. We've actually got some satellite tags on the frigate birds. They're locally called the man war birds. They're a big, a, a big blackish-looking bird. And they we've actually got some satellite tags on them at the moment, seeing where they're going. We've had one that's currently down in French Guyana, and he... He had a nest up in Anguilla. We, we put a tag on him in March, and he's left his chick now, and he's gone down to French Guyana. So these are traveling all over.
0: So he's on vacation.
2: Yes, I believe he's left his wife with the chick on the, in Anguilla. oh I hate
0: when that happens. <laughs> oh, boy. Next thing <laughs> you know, he'll be on Dr. Phil. <laughs> yeah. What's the biggest surprise when visitors come here that they're not expecting? Hmm.
2: Perhaps it's the nature. Perhaps they don't realize that they could see turtles so easily. They could get so close to the seabirds, or there's just tortoises and lizards running around and pretty yellow birds in the trees and things perhaps it's that you can see the the nature so easily here
0: and where do you like to go
2: um well, i love the offshore keys because i love seabirds and i love turtles and that's where we can see see them but uh, i also love little bay the marine park little bay it's really nice snorkeling and we've got the artificial trail there and then also
0: so you don't have to be an accomplished diver you can just go snorkeling oh
2: yeah you can just snorkel. on you can even snorkel off on um crocus beach you can just snorkel around but there's also a, a local guy who runs a boat trip for ten dollars and he can go he drops you at the beach leaves you to snorkel and picks you up whenever you want so that's 10 quite bucks, like, that's it yeah and you can spend the day you can spend an hour whatever you arrange with him and, and he always beauty, comes back here's
0: the beauty of it remember the whole island is 35 square miles that's it yeah so everybody knows everybody but you're not going to get lost
2: no you There are a few little dirt tracks and backwards and things, but you'll find so You just keep driving and you'll end up somewhere you recognize. But
0: something tells you there's not a really big call for Anguilla Search and Rescue. I mean, (laughs) everybody knows where everybody's going to be going, more or less.
2: Yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah.
0: What's the website again? I did that just to get you. (laughs) Just go online, Google Anguilla National Trust. Yeah, we we appear. Exactly. And... Worst comes to worst, just ask where Louise is because she'll come and take you.
2: Yep, yep. Ask any, ask at your hotel. They all have contacts for us so we can, they can easily put us in touch. We can come pick you up, take you around, just have a chat, whatever.
10: You've been listening
2: to Peter Greenberg Worldwide. Catch us each week as we broadcast from a new location
9: somewhere around the world.